Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Good morning. If you want to open your Bibles to Romans 15, how's the, is it allowed? Is it loud? Or am I ringing? I think I am. Am I? Am I not? Sort of, kind of. It's okay. All right. I'll trust you. I was told before we start that I, if I say something bad about myself, I have to say ten nice things. So I'll just say I love my voice. <laughs> Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> Unless, of course, you hear it on the recordings. You remember those, those old things that we used to have? What they, I don't even know what they call them anymore. Answering machines, that's right. Then when you hear your voice on that, you go, man, that's really me? That sounds weird. But I digress. Romans 15, 5 through 6. And I'm going to read from the NLT, even though I initially read from the NIV. And it reads this way. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then, all of you can join together with one voice giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I were to confess this morning, just to get us started, I would confess that I dread Wednesday afternoons. And uh, for, for most of you, Wednesday afternoon is kind of like, this is, we're halfway through the week, this is great. But for me, it's, it's, it's a very difficult few hours, because Wednesday afternoon is basically the time that I spend preparing for prayer meeting. And uh, I know that sounds kind of weird, but I really, really dread those hours. And I'll confess, too, for selfish reasons. One, because I'm leading it. And uh, when you're leading the prayer meeting, you don't want people coming going, man, that was so boring, or oh, that was so terrible. What did we do? And so this internal pressure, this selfish sort of pressure rises within me to perform, uh, to come up with those cool sort of prayer requests or cool sort of method that people say, man, when you lead prayer meeting, we really enjoy it. I, I want to hear that. And so I dread those hours before prayer meeting actually comes. And then, of course, there's the dread of actually praying. Uh, the fear that all of this praying is for naught. And uh, nothing's really happening, and God's not really moving, and, and it's not as fruitful as, as the books always tell us. And then, added to all of that, is the pressure of all the times that you hear that the church needs to get together and pray. Look through the book of Acts, like we mentioned last time, and, and there's all, they're always praying. And so this, this whole Wednesday afternoon experience is one long moment of dread. For me. I don't know about the rest of the people who come, but for me it is at least. And, and as I'm dreading it, and working all through the things that are on my heart and, and, and in my mind, I'm just kind of reminded myself that sometimes when we pray for the church, we don't have a focus. And so this morning, I just want to look at just, uh, and there's a lot of things that we can focus on, but I just want to look at Paul's focus here in Romans 15 and at least give us one thing that is less than just vague, 
but really says, God, grant us unity. So I want us to look at what it means to pray for unity as we go through this and give us a direction just through this short prayer so that when you leave and you think, wow, I should pray for the church, here's one thing you can definitely pray for, and that's unity. So let's look at Paul's prayer once again. And again, I'm just going to read it. It says, May God, who gives us patience or endurance and encouragement, <coughs> help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul praying for? If we put it in one word, Paul's basically praying for unity. But when he prays for unity, what he's praying for is unity on the basis of who you are in Christ. He's saying, listen, for you Romans, here's my prayer. I'm praying that God will bring you together, that you will live in complete harmony. So that when people look at the church in Rome, when they look at you as a church, they can say, those people, they get along with each other. They love each other. They're unified that's really interesting because in the world that I live in, there's a lot of discord, there's a lot of disunity, and yet, for some reason, they can be so different from each other and yet still come together and then live in harmony. And his prayer is not only that they live in harmony because they follow Christ, but in the end, that harmony glorifies God because when everyone looks and sees what God is doing, they say there must be a reality there. There must be something that is real about this God that they follow, because you can bring these people together who have different ideas and thoughts and opinions, and they can become one. And so Paul's prayer, though simple, is really powerful because he's praying for unity. Unity among these people. Now there's a context here. If you look in the previous chapter, chapter 14, you don't have to look there right now, but there seems to be some discussion in the Roman church on Sabbath days. Like, when, when do you celebrate church? When do you go to church? And some people are like, hey, listen, man. The seventh day is really Saturday. We should be at church on Saturday. Some people might be saying, hey, you know what? But there's a new thing in Christ. And really, we should be worshiping on Sunday. And some people, the really spiritual people go, dudes, (coughs) you can worship on Saturday. And you can worship on Sunday. But every day, I worship God. You know? So so you got this kind of thing going on. And uh, everybody's saying this thing and that thing. And so there's difference of opinion. Who's the more holiest of us all. And then other people are saying, hey, listen, food. Now let's talk about food. I love food. But there are some in this group, in the Roman church, that are saying, listen, there are only certain foods you can eat. This is what you eat this way, man. If you're vegan, you're it. Before the fall, everybody was vegan. So that's what you should be. Others are saying, no, man, meat. Meat, meat is where is it? We're going to eat the meat. It's okay. It's okay because God has set us free in Christ. And so you have this argument. So you have these differences of opinions. And I'm sure there's other things they would have been arguing about in the midst of the church. And now Paul gets to this place and says, dudes, those are secondary issues. They don't matter. What really matters is Christ and the body of Christ being one. So if we can just put those aside, and I'm going to pray that you come together and live in harmony and the divergence of your opinions and your personalities and whatever else is going on and become one, Because that's what's fitting of followers of Christ. Because our primary issue, our main issue, is to worship God and then proclaim his goodness. Not only to God, but to others. 
And these secondary issues are taking you away from what God wants you to do. So he's praying, please, please God, give these people patience, encouragement, strength to be able to live in harmony with each other. It's a beautiful picture that he's trying to paint. What he's really saying is this. The idea of unity, not uniformity. The idea of unity is a kingdom value. I'll go a step further. It's the king's value. The king of all kings values unity in the church. For instance, if you read John 17 verses 20 through 21, it would be this. This is Jesus praying and he says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message, which is, as we know, us. So we're part of this. We're part of the prayer of Jesus. And he is our king. And he says this, I pray that they will be one. Just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. The prayer of Jesus is a simple prayer. Like Paul's, a simple prayer. That the family of God, which is one body because God has grafted us into his family, should be one. That is the prayer of Jesus. It's a kingdom value. Jesus says, I value this so much. It is so important that the last words out of my mouth near the end is one of these prayers that says, the body of Christ should be, must be one. Because when we're one, everyone knows then that we are true followers of Jesus. The simple thing is, if we're not one, then are we really following Jesus? Which gets a little bit scary. But the prayer of Paul, and now the prayer of Jesus, says this is a kingdom value. This is important. It is on the heart of Jesus. Think about this. If you knew today was your last day, and God said, I'm going to give you ten minutes to pray, and anything you pray is what I'm willing to grant to you, what would you be praying for? Would you pray for a million dollars? Ah, probably not, right? Because what are you going to do with a million dollars? Well, of course, I know somebody's going to say, I could give it to my kids, which is wonderful, thank you. But it's not going to do you any good, right? New car, church building, all these things. No, and Jesus, in his last moments, is saying, last day, forgive me, last day is saying this, Father, may they be one. Because I value it. And you value it. If you read throughout the whole... New Testament, you would see, God talks about, it is on the heart of God, the book of Numbers, many of the Psalms, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Zephaniah, Zechariah, in all those places, God calls Old Testament Israel to be one, to be family, because they're his family, and it is on the heart of Jesus, it is a value, a kingdom value, it is on the heart of God, it is a king's value, a kingdom, a value that he values, a value of values, even beyond value city. God values everyone being together. It doesn't stop there. It's like, it's like three people in heaven got together and they believed that unity was an important value because in Ephesians 4, 3, what do we read? Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. In other words, when you read scripture, a loud and clear message from God is this. Dear body of Christ... You are in the body of Christ. 
And for that reason, you are to be one. And my prayer, as Romans says, as Paul says to the Romans, is this. That you will be one. That God will give you strength to be one. And in Ephesians 4, it's that sense of make every effort yourselves. In other words, fight for it. Now, today is Super Bowl Sunday, right? Probably a divergence of opinions. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Although, I don't remember who was on the Bears, but he promised to be in the Super Bowl next year, so we'll be celebrating next year. But I would imagine that most of us here are not Patriots fans. Right? You don't have to say anything. We just don't want them to win. They're cheaters. Or are they? Right? You know how that goes. If you're in Boston, nah, they don't cheat. They're going to pack the cow over there. Whatever. You like that? But here's the picture. The picture is... Paul is telling the Ephesians, you are one in the Spirit. Fight for it. In other words, it just doesn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally. So if you want to be unified as Christ has called you to be unified because it's a value of his. And as the Father has brought you together and it's a value of his. And the Spirit has bonded you together and it's a value of his. You have to fight for it. Now does anyone remember the Super Bowl between the Titans and the Rams? I think it was 2001, right? And on almost like the last play of the game, it comes down to two guys, a middle linebacker and a receiver, if I'm not mistaken. Both of them at the one-yard line fighting for a chance to win. That's kind of what the picture is. Because if you remember, the wide receiver from Tennessee is what? Stretching. He's fighting. I want to win this game. But someone else fought harder, right? The guy from the Rams just held him down and you are not getting in. I refuse to let you in. The picture is this for the church, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, is this. You are a body. You are a family. You must fight for it. You must fight for it. If someone comes up to me and says something bad about my wife, do you think I'm going to go, oh, yeah, okay. That's how you feel. Really, honestly? Okay, I would probably... I'm confessing this. Hit them. If they said something very mean about my wife. Now some of you go, amen, you should protect your wife. I don't know, as a pastor, I'd probably get fired. I don't know how that all works together. Probably end up in jail or something with my luck. I don't know, but whatever it is. But I'm not going to stand there. I'm going to fight for her. Does that make sense? In the same way as the family, what Paul is saying, in the spirit, you must fight for unity. You cannot live, in other words, in disunity. Because if you live in disunity, then you're really not listening to the prayer of Jesus, which says, God, bring them together like we are one. Does that make sense? This is really important, because if we don't understand what unity means in the church, then we will be distracted by other things. Secondary issues. Issues that really don't matter in light of eternity. Paul's prayer. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit. Give you encouragement and give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ so that you will with one heart and mouth glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to make every effort to be one. It is a mark of being in Christ. It is a mark of being a part of God's family. Now, what you have to notice, and I'm repeating myself in this way, is that God does something. He gives us strength. He gives us the spirit to bring about this unity, but we must respond. 
And I think this is really important for us to understand. We must respond. If God gives the strength, he is calling us, he is commanding us to do something. And so if you are here today and you are not a part of that unity that God is calling to us, there's a deeper issue, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. But I want us to see that this is really, really important because it is on the heart of God that the family of God actually lives like the family of God in complete harmony. That does not mean we cannot have a divergence of opinions. It does not mean we cannot think differently. It just simply means that first and foremost of all, we follow Christ. It's not the Bears we follow, it's not the Packers, it's not the Patriots, it's not the Falcons, it's not the Republicans, it's not the Democrats, it's not the moderates, it's it's not whatever. Our primary thing as followers of Jesus is Christ. And if anything takes us away from that, it's wrong. It's sin. Because the call for us is to live as one. One body. Together. Primarily focused on Christ. Because we wish to and desire to honor and glorify God. It becomes possible because when you look at it, in unity, it's when brothers become brothers. Sisters become sisters, even though at one time they were enemies. Think about the disciples of Jesus. Matthew, slash Levi, tax collector. What's so cool about a tax collector? Well, nothing really, right? How many of you love paying your taxes? Right? Couldn't you use the extra couple, ten to $15,000 to go to taxes? Maybe more for some of you. Maybe less for others. Here's a guy working for the government, stealing from his people. Nobody really likes him, but he's a part of the government. Maybe he's even right-wing, pro-business, whatever. And then you have Simon the Zealot. What, what is he? He's, hey, man, let's get rid of the Romans. Let's get rid of him. Maybe he's left-wing. Maybe he's an anarchist. I don't know. Either way, you have two people on a different side of things. And what do they do in Christ? They come together. And they live with each other. And they minister with each other. Because they're following Jesus. And that's what marks them. Because people could look and say, Hey, wait a minute. You're supposed to be this. And you're supposed to be that. How do you get along? It's simple. Our primary focus is Jesus. Our concern is Jesus. The Romans, government, whatever, doesn't matter. It's Jesus. They're not saying, ah, whatever, we'll just be tortured, we'll be thrown away. They're just saying, you know what matters first is Jesus. And these other things are secondary. They're important. I'm not saying they're not. But they're not as important. So the unity of the body of Christ is a very important kingdom value for Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, I think as a church, I feel in some ways... As Jeremiah mentioned to the ancient Israelites, you're at a crossroad. You're at a fork in the road. It's a raw time. And now you have a choice. You can go this road, and you can follow the secondary issues which will take you away from your father, or you can go this way, and you can follow him. It doesn't mean those issues that are important to you are no longer important at all, but your primary issue is this. Because I think without unity, there are some very serious consequences, not only for the individual, but also for the church as well. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24 says this, So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, if you're in worship, like if... uh, 
Logan is here today. I'm just going to pick on you because you're sitting there. But if Logan is here today and he's got something against his brother Eric, what Jesus says is this. Stop. Go down the row and first be reconciled to your brother and then come worship. Because if you don't do that, your worship is messed up. You are no longer really worshiping God. And so Jesus in his sermon is saying, listen, if you have a problem, if there's disunity in your relationship with each other or even in the midst of the church, you've got to get it straightened out. Because if you don't get it straightened out, you're wasting your time in coming to worship. Because what I'm telling you is this. When you come and there's discord and you're a part of it and you know it, stop worshiping. You can sing the best, you can play the best, you can give the most money that you want, but if there's broken relationships, discord, and disunity in your midst, forget it. Get it straightened out first. Does that make sense? Disunity messes with your relationship with God. Unity draws you close. If you had something against me, even if you have something against me now and you're listening to me, you're going, like, Whatever. Remember when you this? Why don't you stop talking and apologize to me? It affects your worship, doesn't it? If you see someone in the crowd who's there, like this, raising their hand, saying, God, I love you, and they're entering into worship, and you're angry with them because they hurt you, you're thinking to yourself, what? How can they worship God? Kind of sounds like this one Pharisee who said, look at that sinner over there. How can that sinner worship God? You see where this is, this is headed? Unity is a kingdom value. And if there's discord and if there's disunity in our midst, what we're basically saying is, God's your values, they're not my values, because you don't understand where I'm coming from. You don't understand how this person hurt me. Or you don't understand this person's beliefs and how offensive they are. But there's a second thing it does. It advances the wrong agenda. Matthew chapter 3, verses 24 and 25 says this, a kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, (coughs) a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. Quick survey. How many of you have ever been part of some sort of church split or serious church discord where people left the church? So let's show of hands. Not a whole bunch of you. Okay, that's good. Uh, who, Who wants to give a testimony of how that was awesome? Anyone want to stand and say, man, that first church that was out, when they kicked me out, that was so awesome. I mean, that's great, man. When they said, dude, you're no longer wanted, it was like, oh, man, really? You don't want me anymore? Great, super. I can go do nothing. I have nothing left to, no. A church split is never one of those things that people rejoice in. It's not one of those things where people go, yeah, that was fantastic. That was a great experience. Let's do it again. We only did it five years ago. All that lost time. Please, come on. Let's have one more good fight. Let's spread some rumors that are really good about somebody that aren't true. Because that's the wonderful thing about church splits. They're just to be celebrated. You know, if you want to send people out of the church, the best way to do it is to send them as a church plant. Not as first Baptist, second Baptist, third Baptist, whatever Baptist. Does that make sense? You see, the wrong agenda is then set because if we're living in disunity and discord and we break up, what does the watching world say? You followers of Christ, 
Because it is fitting for you, or so you say, that you are supposed to actually be like Christ, to be one, to be unified, to work through those issues together as one family. You guys say all that, but look at you. So what happens? God is not glorified. It is the wrong agenda that's being set. In fact, in the end, the one who is setting the agenda is not someone whom we want to set the agenda in the end, our spiritual enemy. Because who gets the honor from that? He does. He is able to destroy, to put discord in the midst of the family of God and see the family of God break about. But a third thing is it reveals not only your heart for your brother and sister, but it also reveals your heart for God. This is a scary verse. 1 John 4, verses 20 and 21. Two verses, actually. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. That's some pretty powerful, strong language. You cannot worship God. Say, God, I love you, but I hate so-and-so because of their politics or their perspective or their whatever. They're wrong. Okay, God? You understand that they're wrong? I cannot tolerate that stuff. And if you're sitting there, man, you're talking, no, I'm talking to myself at this moment. As I struggle through these issues, maybe just like everybody else does, as you sit there and begin to think my perspective is the right perspective, or my opinion is the right perspective, God says they may very well be, but the key issue is family. That's the important perspective. So if as a family we cannot come together, what we're really saying is, God, we love you, but we hate our brother, and God says, that's fine, but you really don't love me then. Why? He goes on to say this. Listen, for if we don't love the people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this suggestion. No, 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 I'm sorry. I misread that. This command. Not suggestion, but this command as followers of Christ, as is what fitting of us to follow Christ. In our weakness, and I am weak, I'm a, you know, and I'm not trying to say this, just, no, no, I don't want to say 10 things positive about me afterwards. I'm just being honest with you. In my heart, it's some bad stuff. And it deals with the way people see other things, the way people have other perspectives. And God says to me, what? He says, you love me, and yet you can say these things. The only thing I can say to myself is that I'm a liar then. I'm a liar. If I cannot look beyond those things which are secondary issues and not see the primary issue, that that is my brother or my sister in Christ, we've missed what Scripture is saying about unity. The call is not for uniformity. If this church ever says you must vote a certain way, flee. If this church says that you must do things that are not scriptural, don't listen. We don't want to have 165 me's. That'd be horrible. And I like me, trust me. I do like me, but that would be horrible. Because there's a lot of things that I see that are wrong. That I think wrong. I ate crow at least five times this week. Three times my wife reminded me. (laughs) Uh, hey, remember that moment? <laughs> I can't, I, I, it's, if I were around with Elijah, he'd have no one to bring him food. That's how much crow I ate this week. Things that I would say that I was so sure of. And then let me give you an example, okay? Our littles, our youngest one has cold-induced asthma, which means she wheezes when the winter comes. Took her to the doctor. The doctor said, here's the medicine. This is how you do it. I went home, and I was confident that this is what he said. So the next day, she goes to the doctor's office, and uh, the nurse calls up and says, hey, you know, we can't 
can't give her this medicine. And I got mad at her. I was like, dude, you're a nurse. She's a doctor. I get it. You care about my doctor. Okay, first insult. Okay, wrong. I didn't say that to her out loud, but I'm thinking it. I was there. The doctor told me this is the stuff she gets. This is how you give it to her. And I was angry because this lady was telling me something. She wasn't even in the room. And my thinking is, how dare you tell me what I think and know? That big old fat crow wasn't big and fat enough when I read the paper. Because I was wrong. I had it backwards. But I was adamant. I am right. You're a nurse. The doc- And again, I'm not insulting nurses. Please, all you nurses, do not send hate emails. If you're a neurosurgeon, you will love me even more because I'm so positive towards doctors, right? I was wrong, man. Convinced. The primary issue of those of us who follow Jesus is to represent Jesus, and I did anything but. I mean, that's not the only... I mean, I ate crow for political reasons this week. I ate crow for biblical reasons. I made two errors on the Bible. That I, not, not like errors, like preaching it wrong, but I just had the verses wrong. A lot of crow eaten this week because of my mistakes. See, that's the thing, is, is even, even when we think that we might be right, in God's eyes we might be right, but for the wrong reasons. Because the bigger issue is about the family. It's not about, again, being exactly the same. That would be horrible. But it is about being exactly the same in that we will fight for unity. We will fight for this church. We will fight for this church to be a family. No matter what it takes. Do not make fun of my wife. Do not make fun of my kids. You can make fun of me all day long. I really, really like me. I don't care what people say, necessarily. But it's different when you start talking about family. That's the attitude that the church should have. And not just towards the family that we like. Because I'm sure that there were times that Simon the Zealot would look at Matthew slash Levi and go, man, you are corrupt. And Matthew Levi might say, you're a killer. That's messed up. But they could come together in Christ and see what's primary. I know that's kind of getting personal in some ways because it is a raw time in our country. It is a very raw time. But I want to get personal because I think sometimes as a church, what we tend to do is focus on things that are important. Because there are a lot of important issues and decisions being made. But the greater issue is how in Christ, together as a family, do we respond? But it's not just that. It's marriages too. Can we honestly say that as we stand here or sit here today, that every marriage is a healthy and whole marriage in our church right now? Can we honestly say that of the 100, 200 people that are here that we're all getting along together and that you don't look at someone with a strange eye like that person hurt me? Can we say that? Probably not. But the challenge is to fight for that unity to be together as a family. I personally am a frail person. When it comes to sin. Everyone else here struggles with it as well. We must be wise to recognize that what really matters. What is the important value. The kingdom value. The king's value. Is unity. Being together. 
So whatever you believe, whatever you have as your opinions, outside of the gospel, secondary issues, have them. Present them in a way that honors. That's okay. The church must not, outside of scripture, tell you what to believe. But we must be a family. We must be a family. I've explained to you before that in my family, there's not discord, but there's severe difference of opinion. And we can get together for Christmas and still love each other. Because we recognize the greater value of family. My hope would be that when people look at us, they can go, you know what? Wow, they really, they're not, they're different, man. How can these different people come together? It's because we belong to God. We belong to God's family. And he calls us to be together. So I want to do something different. Oh, boy. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want us to pray for unity. And uh, I just want to, eventually about 30 seconds from now, hopefully I'll stop talking. But I just want us, first of all, just to look at our hearts. Am I a defender of unity? Or am I a pretender? Can I look at people who believe different from me? Can I respect them in Christ and listen to their opinions without becoming self-righteous, judgmental, and Pharisee-like? Even if I think it is a life and death matter. Looking at ourselves. But then I want us to think, is there someone here right now at this church, in this church family in which there's conflict? Do I have a conflict with that person? You may very well, there might be a lot of conflict. You may even have that conflict with me which would be absolutely right in many cases. Maybe even all cases. But I want to encourage you, today there's a crossroads that we face. Do you want to continue on with this feeling And have your worship affected, setting the wrong agenda? Or do you really want to follow God and say, listen, I may not be ready now, because now is not the time, but we need to get together. Because more important than anything else is the value that is held by our Father, our brother, and the Spirit. And if you have that, and today is the day you feel like, man, this is enough. i got to do this. Please, I encourage you. In a spirit of love, speaking the truth, approach that person and say, this is where I'm at. I'm not ready, but I want to start moving in that direction. And then after a few minutes, I'm actually going to, if you want to still continue to pray by yourself, feel free to do so. But I'm going to ask us to actually take a few moments and maybe turn to the person next to you and say, hey, can we pray for unity? Can we pray for unity in our church as a general value, as a kingdom value? Because as I look at myself, I recognize I can be a pretender. I can put on the face of unity, but in my heart, where it really matters, there's discord. Because I want to give in to my sin. I want to give in to the feeling that I know God, that I know what's right in God's eyes. So hey, I need to look at that. We all need to look at it. And decide today. Because the thing that we read in these verses in 
Romans 15 and Ephesians 4 is that God is doing something, bringing his family together. But now you have to fight for it. You have to stand firm. You have to be patient. You might even have to endure. But the family is family. And as we want to follow Christ, not be liars, but true lovers of God and his people, as well as the people who are outside the family of God, we got to come to that place and say, this is a value. And I will live it. I will fight for it as hard as it is. And I'll be honest with you, if you really, really, at some time today or in the past, I have hurt you, please don't be afraid to say, you are messed up, brother. And let me tell you why. Because you're probably right. You can watch me eat more crow if necessary. But I believe that unity that God really wants in us is to be a family, even if we believe differently. So I'm going to give us five minutes. Examine yourself. When you feel like, hey, I'm ready, I'm gonna, I want to pray for unity for the church, just turn to somebody else and start praying. And then I'll come back and our worship team will finish with a song. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.